Bangori has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year. Each issue filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid KingCast host from time to time. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun... Well, you'll need to subscribe, babies. In order to do that, all you got to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. KingCast listeners are in the family, so I have a nifty promo code to share with y'all. You can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. He's gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Advice for him to see a dead body. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today's guest wears many creative hats. He's the author behind the Count Crowley comic book series, the screenwriter behind the deeply personal indie projects Animal and All Creatures Here Below, and a prolific actor who you'll recognize from major flicks like The Dark Knight, the Ant-Man movies, Prisoners, Blade Runner 2049 Dune, The Suicide Squad, and a slate of crazy upcoming projects like The Last Voyage of the Demeter, Oppenheimer, and yes, an adaptation of Stephen King's The Boogeyman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. David Desmulchin back to the KingCast stage. Good evening, good afternoon, good good morning, gentlemen. I don't where <laughs> it's afternoon for you guys. Yeah, it's, hi. Yes, I, I gotta, I gotta. I'm sorry. Uh, I gotta tell you, David, the sounds just not coming through well we're, we're gonna need you to move to a different do you closet. want me to go to another room you know what i'm gonna <laughs> no, go i'm no no i'm, I'm gonna fucking go with you. up your ass <laughs> Would you, do you want to tell tell the tell the people work? at home what happened the last time you re- so recorded. basically the last time i was on the show we recorded an entire episode and then a few days later i get a call from vespi he's a friend of mine so i was like hey what's up and he's like look man i'm really sorry we got to uh we got to record this again, and but the sound quality was really bad. So they had me go like into my garage and record it, and they had my wife start the um, the car while the garage was closed, <laughs> um, so that they could listen to me choke and asphyxiate on the mm-hmm. carbon monoxide. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, basically the guys want you know they want the they want you to sound like you're in a you know, like not um, the middle of the 405 when you're recording their show, <laughs> which is fair. Um, last time I did it in my closet, which is not as comfortable as where I am sitting now. And it's ap- apropos considering some of the things we'll be talking about today. But I'm in my daughter's yes. closet, which it's just creepy enough because there's like some weird little dolls on the shelf and like some weird little shit hanging up in here. And um, but it's I chose my daughter's closet because she has this great big bean bag. You know where we got this from, Vespi? We mm. got this from uh, Yara Vespi's wedding. They had oh, these yeah. bean bags at their wedding uh, when Dave Yarvo and, and Autumn got married. And then they had all these bean bags. They're like, what are we going to do with these bean bags? And of course, Eve and I were like, we'll find creative uses for a giant pile of bean bags. So mm-hmm. <laughs> here I sit on the bean yes. bag. 
that was at the wedding of the guy who directed Brightburn and <laughs> Night Books. Uh-huh. Yeah, Scott, you're friends with Yarvo too, aren't you? I know him. You know, Dave, uh, you know, you know he's you been know, on the show. I, there was a lot of tone in that. Am I right, Besby? He was like, oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, oh, I know that guy. I know. Well, him. I don't wow. know him like Besby knows him, you know, so it would wow. be it would it would be it would probably be incorrect to say that we're He's friends. only one of my best friends, Scott. So, uh, <laughs> well, we need like to have a little play date. Your <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're invite right, me don't. over. I'll play with your beanbag chairs and, right. um, you know, we'll all bond. And then, then we I will play know games. We tend to play games. Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard. Play, like that's definitely how we socialize. Like when we're, when I'm in town, like then it's the in-person games, but I yes. talk to Yarvo every night and you know, like, we play oh, Overwatch right. every you night. Nerds playing yeah. Overwatch, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, not like tabletop gaming, which is not nerdy <laughs> at all. Like video <laughs> gaming. Dude, don't go there. I swear there's not a single thing nerdy about the fact that my work desk is more occupied by different sided dice than pens <laughs> or paper. My son was like, what do you do in here? Like, do you work? Or like, what do you do? Why do you have all these dice? Why are you such a nerd? Why can't you know how to throw a baseball? <laughs> I, I will say that your in-person games uh, are filled with King cast regulars, by the way, though. Brian Fuller is there often. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why Flew LeBorg came on the show is because I met oh, yeah. him at one of your games. And uh, Amazing. Uh, Nathan Philly and I haven't been able to talk into coming on the show yet, but, uh, but someday we will get Nathan and and we will complete your in any adaptations of King works. No, but he'd be perfect. Wouldn't he? Doesn't he He kind of radiate like that? I can totally see him. Small town, every man. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I see him in so many, I mean, from Salem's lot to needful things. There's so many places where I could see him like being anything with a pangborn in it. <laughs> right. Any castle cast. story. Yeah. Oh my god. Um but anyway, it's good to be back guys. Uh King is King as his his crown grows larger and and more prolific as the years go by. It's really wild to like just see like the new generation of film goers and readers um are as avid of King fans as us old guys and it makes me feel mm-hmm. really happy whenever I'm putting my teeth in their denture soak at night to look on the social media and see, you know, how many high schoolers right now are like flipping out because they're reading, you know, whatever for the first time, skeleton crew or night shift right. or something. It's really right. Rad. It, it's pretty insane. We had uh, Gory Corey come on the show. She did a bonus episode and she's, uh, she was like one of the youngest ever contributors to Fangoria. And that's yeah, I think what she kind was of like put her on 17 at the time or something. Yeah, she was still Amazing. in high school. And then she yeah. came on the show. Like, I think she was tr- transitioning into college when she, mm-hmm. when we, when we got her for the show and we were like asking her, she did this whole bonus episode about like how the new generation views King. It's like, is it just us old that like Stephen King and they give a shit? And she's like, no, like you have no idea how popular king is between the uh the muschietti it movies and stranger things being so obviously yeah beholden to him is just like they're like the, her friend group and the people she encounters on the daily like are becoming obsessed with king and that well, that made my, my little too. heart grow big Stephen you know? king by the way and i'm reclaiming this pejorative for all the people out there that like to use it as an insult Stephen king was woke way before uh <laughs> <laughs> are, are like you know mostly like 
hetero white writer guys were woke to anything. Like he was like so progressively aware of how to write about issues that like really matter when it comes to you name it. Um, I feel like that, that like, cause the younger readers right now and, and, and consumers of content are just like, they're, they don't want tropes for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons they really don't want tropes, I think is cause they're just tired of like binaries and, 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 and all the old kind of BS that they used to, have to live with. And I think King's been like out ahead of that stuff forever. It's crazy. Like when I, when I look back and I read like the stuff that meant something to me, young Dave as to now, like the addiction themes, it's, I pull constantly. And I know I'm reading a lot into that myself just cause that's an issue that I, think about a lot and, and have right. lived with but mm-hmm. like i mean he spoke obviously openly about his his battles with with addiction but when sometimes i'm reading this stuff and i'm like i never even i never considered x y or like when i was i reread uh cujo not too long ago and i was just like god this is such a like incredibly metaphoric story about for me the battles of of, of parenthood and addiction and stuff it's crazy mm-hmm. I guess some people would think it's just about rabies. (laughs) (laughs) Rabies and uh, ejaculate on mattresses as we've, uh, that keeps coming up every time somebody talks about the book. And I'm glad that that is something you guys are willing to talk about. You're brave. You guys are brave. And I want (laughs) to thank you for your bravery. You know, young people, by the way, who I, I think are really doing, there's so many young people doing really interesting shit right now, which is exciting. But there's this family of filmmakers. I know you're aware of them who I think would be great. Guests oh yeah. If, if you haven't who had them on about. yet, if you have, you had them on yet. We haven't, but I know, I know okay. who you're talking about. I forget I've become their friends name with Zelda. So the Adams family, they're amazing. And mm. I, and I recently connected with, um, Zelda who stars in their films. And, um, I think that they probably have a lot of great opinions about King. And it would be interesting to me to hear, a conversation with like, cause it's a mother, father, yeah, it's and a whole daughter. ass family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the sister is in their stuff and blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like that would be a really cool conversation to hear about. Cause I want to hear from like the, the parents and the kid um, and how, how much, cause I could just tell by, by the way that they talk in interviews and their, their, their shit that they've made that like King has been a big influence on them. Mm. I love nice. this idea. Put, be, be, go ahead and put us in touch. Like, um, you know, like just, uh, you know, I, I really admire what those folks are doing. They're, they're doing some pretty ingenious shit. And the fact that they're doing it as a family, I think is just the coolest goddamn thing. Um, that's what I want. That's what I want. You know? Yeah. Can you, can you imagine how fucking rad that would be? Oh, my home life was so boring compared to something like that. (laughs) Like, good Uh, Lord. I pulled, I pulled my kids the first time ever into one of my shenanigans um for anybody who hasn't gotten to see it yet uh the boulet brothers who are friends of mine we i helped them we put together their halfway to halloween special for shutter and one of the um uh, little uh vignettes during the special was um a piece that the boulets had written which is so fucking hilarious it's the uh easy bake cremation oven for the, when the kids kill their parents and they need to hide the bodies <laughs> nice. and um, having my family on set with me, I was really stressed about, I was having a lot of anxiety because I was like, oh, I don't, I just, this is going to be terrible. And I had roped my wife Eve into playing the mom of the family. And actually Brian Fuller was going to be playing the dad, but then 
he had to bail uh, at the last second for work stuff. And we got John Ross um, Bowie, who's a great actor. And he, 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 he did it. Um, I had been up late the night before doing the Frankensteinfeld sketch that Steve Agee wrote for us. And I got food poisoning. So I was there on set, nervous as hell, puking my guts out. And it was so fun, like making it like a family affair and watching my like to helping my kids like strangle the actor playing their dad and like putting Eve's like cooked hand into an oven. It was that was a blast. That's really cool. And, and also, I just think st- it would be funny to have an entire family on this cast. <laughs> like <laughs> that that's not cool. something we'll ever get the chance to do ever again. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah, they're really rad. so. Um, we should talk a little bit about. Uh, an upcoming project you have by the name of the boogeyman. We have been hearing uh, a lot of hype about this one for fucking months now, since that first Mm -hmm. test screening out in LA, the one that apparently flipped it from being a streaming release to a theatrical thing, which has happened for a a number of movies lately. Just tell us everything about that. Who do you play in it? How was the experience of making it? Like what, well, What's I'm assuming your... most most of the good folks out there listening to the King cast uh, are mm-hmm. familiar already with um, the short story, The Boogeyman. Uh, definitely one of the many amazing, you know, shorts that that King has written. But for me, always one of a, one of my favorites. Um, and you know, the short, which is like I don't remember eight, 10 pages, maybe it's, it's, it's pretty contained. It's, you know, a guy shows up at a therapist's office. He's been through a really traumatic life experience. He's being plagued and haunted by this, um, entity and the therapist, um, there's a really fun twist for those who haven't read it. Um, but the, the film adaptation of that story and growing that one scene into an entire feature Mm-hmm. Um, basically begins with the short story. So the central family in the movie, Rob Savage is the boogeyman, um, is uh, a therapist whose wife has recently uh, passed away in a tragic automobile accident. And he has two daughters, a teenage daughter um, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, like a, for a nine-year-old and my character lester billings who just like in king's short shows up at uh, at will the therapist's uh in, in the in the film his office is also at his house so it kind of connects mm-hmm. um for important details that will be revealed when you see the film why you know having lester showing up and you know, introducing a mythology as well as um, a reality to this family uh, that, you know, maybe gets loose in Will's office, but then goes throughout the house. Um, and uh, it's it's just it's just a really excellent film, you guys. Like I've seen it twice now. They screened it for uh, me and Eve got to go see it at Disney like a month or so ago, and. Um, you know, I knew when 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 I was doing my my part for it that Rob, we were in great capable hands. You know, big fan of Rob's film host. I think his short film Dawn of the Deaf is just like incredible. I, I was like, this guy's definitely uh, very gifted, and he's going to be great. But when you know, when I was shooting, I was like, this is going to be 
this is going to be a really good movie. Um, but then I saw it and I was like, oh man, it's just, uh, it's really fun. It's got really horrifying and scary, um, moments that, um, even like a good seasoned horror hound, like Steve Agee was with me the other night, that six foot seven, <laughs> John Economos mother flower was like high pitched screeching. It was so great watching <laughs> him get scared. You know, I, I invited him, uh, my friend Kat Bardot is a great makeup artist. Uh, Twin Temple came to watch it with us the other night. They are like a satanic doo-wop band. They, they know what scary is. They thought uh-huh. it was scary as shit. And love Twin who, Temple, but the oh, way. they're so great, man. They're so they're they're regulars at the old game night. Um, no shit. They're always evil, always evil. Um, and then um, very good, very evil, very very good, very evil. And then mm-hmm. um, of course, for me, a great honor was how much my friend Earl Brown liked the film. If you guys don't know that name you know earl w earl brown he was in um, the original scream um he was in something about mary he was on that show deadwood which i think is brilliant anyway earl knows horror like crazy like he's a he's a he's a child of horror and uh it was really fun yeah i um, love that dude He's the he's the he's the cameraman yeah in uh scream Scream. yeah yeah him and uh courtney cox or is it buddies and, then, that, and there's that great delay remember the, with the yeah camera? that's it the yeah. delay gag yeah i love that he has some he has some he'd be a great guest you guys gotta have earl he's got the best <laughs> stories about making that movie i know that has nothing to do with stephen king but it is a he he, he knows king well and i'm yeah. sure i mean not as a, i don't know if they know each other personally he knows the the the, the books very <laughs> right. well um well well david I don't know anybody you, who knows i don't know anybody by the really quick i don't know you yeah. guys i know you've interviewed stephen king but i don't know anybody who knows stephen king well except for one person hmm. and that person uh is joe hill produced <laughs> is his son yes no i don't know joe i've never met joe i uh i would love to i'm such a fan but i um but stephen or uh, Roy Lee, who's a friend of mine and produced uh, Late Night with the Devil, which we'll talk about later. But Roy is friends with Stephen. Yeah, Roy's anyway. kind. He he. Roy's the guy that uh, like pretty much any horror movie that you've like even heard of in the last twenty years or not twenty years is a long time. Ten years, say Roy has had something to do behind the scenes er- on Eric, it, whether he's produced 20, it or twenty years plus, dude. He really. Brought- he brought Dude. Ringu to That's the ring. Right. Like it was the he ring. That's right. Brought us no the ring. Shit. That would have been in like what? Oh two, oh three. Yeah. yeah he's he's kind of like the the less famous James Wan in in that aspect, where like like Roy Lee, like he he reached out to us when Aaron and I had a short film at South by Southwest. You know, it's like he's paying attention to everything horror you know whether it's yeah. overseas if it's old ip new ip if it's a short film horror filmmakers on the on the rise like he he's that kind of guy that's involved with everything um, yeah. but but david what i was going to say earlier was that you are now our unofficial and i must stress this unpaid uh, talent booker now oh you got it great so great. So we are I'm going to Earl right now. Yeah. Text Earl. <laughs> we need we need to get Nathan on. Nathan, uh, yes. We, we we need that that satanic doo-wop duo for sure. Yes. The Adams Twin family. Temple. Oh, Twin and Temple. the Adams family. Yes, you need the Adams family. Twin oh yeah, Temple. I'll take Twin Temple oh, while we're right. at it. I fucking love yeah. Twin Temple. 
Oh my They're god. They're so great. They're and so great. They I, sacrificed me and Eve on stage at their Halloween show <laughs> they did. two years ago. They sacrificed us uh, to the whore of Babylon. And it was one of the most rad experiences I've ever had in my life because they blindfolded us. We're on stage at the Fonda Theater. Um, they put blood on our head. They unblindfolded us after this ceremony. And I was watching like a thousand kids in like makeup chanting and yelling, hail Eve, hail Eve. It was so rad. Stay there with my wife, who I worship uh, every day. But wow. Oh my God. They're so good. They're so good. Yeah, Eve's rad as hell, by the way. Like, I, you. I don't know, you. you know, I've, I've spent time with both of you, but it's like, you know, I'm never going to go but like, Hey, your wife's really cool. But I'm saying this now on the record for the public to know Eve is rad. We talk about so my rad. favorite murder all the time. We talk about yes. all horror stuff. She, she loves true crime shit. So we got lots to talk about every time we're she around. She turns me on to really good, uh, stuff too. You know, she's really, um, I, I don't know if you guys are friends or friendly with, um, I'm sure there isn't like some kind of rival podcast gang war that I don't know about, but, um, is it like it wait, or is it like in anchorman where you guys meet up in alleyways and you fight each other? Uh, but no, I, she, uh, <laughs> ask us that on one off the, the air, <laughs> the last podcast guys, which who I love. Oh, I think sorry. What really was that? Great. Oh, the last podcast guys. Oh, last sorry, on the left. Yeah. Those guys oh yeah, great. definitely familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. For They've sure. become friends now. They actually live um, down the block. I love those guys. There's another guest for you. Nice. All right, I'm gonna hooking you up with everybody. I know we got a whole quarter filled. Very easy. <laughs> um, See, all, all you got to do is know Dave Desmolchin. That's all. It is. We just had somebody on the show who caught the boogeyman out of CinemaCon, and um, he was Ooh. telling us uh, Jermaine Lucier. Yes. Okay. What did from Io Nine. Yes. Yeah. He was saying that he was really impressed with the the movie's horror action, that there was more of that than he was expecting, particularly in the third act. Is this accurate or is he lying? It is very us? accurate. And it's 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 a testament to Rob. Um, he did this thing that I think was brilliant when he went into his pre-production office and was gearing up to get his production office going. He and his cinematographer created a chart on the wall of the office that was the number of seconds, minutes and seconds that you see the shark in Jaws Mm -hmm. and the bitch, like the queen in Alien. How much actual, like how much do you actually see those monsters, right? Um, Mm -hmm. because what he did was he created this physicality of the boogeyman and of the world of the film with between the camera and the blocking, um, that escalates and escalates over the film where you're just never really getting a good look at what it is that's fucking with everybody. And when you get into that third act, it makes the action scares so great because you still even though somebody might be like running, getting slammed around, they're in the dark, the way that light is used, the way that like covering uh, hallways and yards and living rooms is really frenetic and, and, and just like super high energy because it, get, it gets very intensely you know, action oriented. But you're still not seeing – it's not like one of those – these movies that all of a sudden think that they have to bring out the ghoul in the third act 
And then we got a full on camera shot of, uh, let's say, you know, a CGI demon, mm-hmm. you know, battling right. with you. Like, no, you're, he did this really smart thing where it's just, you're still, it's maybe the, the arm of it reaches out of the shadow enough to get a good limb or it's eye leans in. And, 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 and the way he talks about it is kind of fascinating because he's like, once you even do get a look at it, you still don't get a full look at it because there's the boogeyman within the boogeyman within the boogeyman. It's like this endless void of horror and despair that just wants to toy with us and consume us. So that the rising action where it's, you know, a lot of times I think movies lose their scariness is actually really fucking scary. Um, and all the way to the mm-hmm. last, all the way, honestly, to the last frame of the movie, there's a nice, he buttons this movie really well. Um, but I, uh, I owe you, you referenced stranger things earlier. I, I owe, um, the producer of stranger things, Dan Cohen of 21 laps. That's who I really owe my involvement with this film. Um, he was, I've known Dan for a number of years now and he just, he does great work. He produced, um, a lot of really good shit. And he, uh, he's also a very, um, Oh, what's the right word for it? Like somebody that just won't give up. What do you, what do you like? Tenacious. tenacious? Yeah. He's very tenacious. Yeah. So when he gets it convinced that like, I'm the right person for Lester Billings. Like I immediately was like, no, I'm not. Lester was like a yokel. Wasn't he? Like I had this impression (laughs) from reading Lester. I was like, isn't he kind of like a, I don't know, like Southern drawl, like real blue collar. Like would he be a guy in like a red ball cap right now? Kind of character, which is fine. Like that's an interesting character to play, but I would never go Dave Desmolchin is Lester Billings, you know? And he was just like, no dude. He's like, me and Rob have talked to, this is a long time ago, by the way, way, way before, you know, production or anything. He was just like, no, it's, it's you. And I was just like, nah, I, I, I want to be in, I want to be in a, in a King adaptation. I want to be in a movie that you're making, but I just, I don't think Lester's the right guy. And he was like, read the script and see, see what, what you think. So I read the script, which I loved. And then I was like, nah, because it's so dark, you guys. And what Lester has endured is so fucking dark. Mm-hmm. And like what happens at this film is a straight up horror movie. It checks all the boxes, but it's a drama as well. To me, it feels as much like ordinary people as it does the ring. Um, and I love that about it. But I also know that there that means you're going to commit and fully embody states of mind that are you know, just fucking exhausting. And I've done a lot of that lately. I was kind of going off the back of like a series of really intense. I had just filmed, I was, I was going to be filming the Boston Strangler. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, where is my uh, Olaf? When do I get to be Olaf? You know, um, <laughs> they refused to take no for an answer. And I was like, I don't know. And then, and then I met with Rob and then I was like, all right, guys, but I definitely see a different, I see a different reality than the way that I think he's portrayed in, in the short story. And, and, and they said, I think we just have, we're, we're not, we're not making the short story. We're making a movie that has grown out of the short story. So it needs to become its own thing or else it won't work. 
So, right. yeah, it's a good movie, you guys. I well, I'm excited. When are you going to see it? I but see it I'm next a, week. Yeah. Yeah, you're getting a you're you're still in Austin, so you're going to get a press screening. I yeah. have relocated out into the middle of nowhere in Idaho for about six months, and okay. press press screenings just out of the question for uh, Got it. for pop up right now. Got it. So Got it. Although I am well, trying to pull some strings with uh, probably a mutual friend, I won't name him. Um, yeah, don't to, don't name to, him. Get that link. Yeah. Get that link. Get that link. <laughs> yeah. As long so as, we'll, here's the we'll deal, see. man. It's like if you're gonna ruin the movie by putting my name in bold face type print across it, just send me the link because you really think how am I gonna like? Get, how is that gonna get in the wrong hands? It, I, right. I hate that. I hate that has to be the reality. It's like, isn't there a way to just do like? Uh, with some screeners, like they'll put a uh, like a, a, a digitized number across the mm-hmm. like a part of sure. the screen, or it flashes certain points where then you know that that go- that's tracking. But it's just like when it has my name like going like like uh, on a diagonal across. <laughs> you know, my feeling on the whole digital screeners thing is that they're fucking uh, super duper, you know, sketchy about those and like paranoid that these like critics are gonna some like build a pirating empire. Um, I don't know any single critic that has ever even thought of doing something like that. It's just, it's fucking crazy to even, to even think about doing it. It would end your career and then you wouldn't get any more screeners and you wouldn't have a fucking job. Like it doesn't. It's ridiculous. It's happened one time that I know of. And it was not a critic. It was a friend of mine, sadly, who is, his uh, uh, an assistant in his office took a screener um, because I'm sure he was like, yeah, if there's a screener you want, you know, you can go watch it. And that person uh, like was in an apartment with roommates and one of the roommates uh, was excited that they had access to a movie. And I think they uploaded it onto some dumb, you know, sharing site and then it went viral and they, uh, it was massively embarrassing for my, right. you know, my friend it was terrible. I can't imagine when you're like, if you're an executive, like reading, like, holy shit, did you hear this? Big? And this was like a big movie. Like this movie just got leaked online and then you find out that it's your copy. Oh my uh-huh. God. I would die. Yeah. Well, I, I trace it all back. I hadn't heard about that situation, but there was a guy like, I don't know, fucking 15 years ago now that like reviewed a, like a, a work print of the first Wolverine movie hmm. and like hmm. ran it, like ran a, ran a fucking review of it and was like, this is amazing. All I had to do was go on my computer and click a button. And now I'm watching them. It was like, <laughs> you know, this was like early days for this shit. And like this guy didn't, didn't seem to realize like what he was doing. Yeah, and it yeah. seems to me that all this shit is traced back to that because otherwise, yeah. you know, it's just, it's not something a critic is going to fucking do anyway. Dude, let me tell you, let me tell you the one time I have, I mean, I've, I've gotten my feelings hurt by reviews many times and I've had, you know, I, I learned, I learned a long time ago as an actor, I, I don't read the reviews because as uh, teachers taught me, like if you believe all the good, then that means you're going to also really believe the the negative and you just have to try and do your best work uh, devoid of any kind of, um, you know, uh, expectation of people's critique. And so I would avoid that stuff. But as a producer, when it's stuff that I've made and I'm involved with, like all of that is 
really important as you're building up your database of stuff for pull quotes, for PR and marketing, for um, everything, you know, dealing with other press. So all that aside, one time I have actually like gone ballistic and I got a, a review pulled down because um, I was so mad. Uh, we were in the process of submitting a very divisive film that I made, very personal film of mine that uh, some people really liked and some people fucking hated called All Creatures Here Below starring Karen Gillan. And we were in the process of submitting the film to film festivals and some programmer intern at a film festival watched the movie and then posted a review on Letterboxd of my movie. Like, I was like, are you joking me, dude? The movie hasn't even come out like that. You're you're we're trusting you at a film festival as you're screening it for consideration for your festival. That's not to be publicly then. And he wrote a horrible review of it. I mean, like, like not horrible review. I mean, his opinions, his opinion, but like he shredded the movie. Like, um, and I was just, so if you even Googled the name of the movie, it was the first thing that came up as one letterboxed thing. Cause we'd had no press yet. We hadn't screened publicly yet. We hadn't shared the movie with anybody yet other than a couple of festivals. Um, that guy doesn't work at that film festival anymore. Needless to say, sorry, buddy, if you're listening. How many years ago was that? <laughs> You're like that was me. Uh, no, no, no. But uh, that would have been 2016, 2017, 2016. Yeah. Huh. Uh, no, but I might. I we'll talk about off the air about it. We'll talk about it off the air. That's, <laughs> this is this, this is uh, this is very juicy. funny though. This is very it's funny, juicy. Though, that, very this, juicy. If okay. We'll we'll move away from this. <laughs> oh man, um, where were we? Where the fuck were uh, we? we, we Boogeyman, Boogeyman's a great movie. Get your ten dollars. Go see the movie, kids. Get your popcorn. Get your date. You know, give a little <laughs> snuggle. Take somebody you want to jump in your lap when you get scared. Uh, here's the great thing: if you don't like horror, you're going to see like a. I mean, Messina. Sophie, Lydia, the cast is off the chain. You guys, they are, they are like the core cast, like the, the family. They're so damn good in this movie um, that you can't help but care about them. And Messina makes all these fantastic choices as the father, because even though his, you know, he's, there's that typical kind of uh, frustrating thing that happens in a horror movie where the kid's like this thing, I see it. And the dad's like, Oh, you're just, you know, you're having a lot of emotions because your mom died. It's it's he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't lean into that at all. He's like nice. he's trying to really take his kid seriously. He's like earnestly wants to listen, but he's also he's too damaged to be able to really think about things like grief at the moment. And he they they created and crafted all these great little moments. When you guys see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a a, a scene that I refer to as throwing the cheese. In the throwing the cheese moment, which is happening in the cusp of our third act horror show, it still grounds you with these people and makes you really believe that they are family and that they love each other and they care about each other. And it makes you that much more horrified and upset and scared when, you know, one of them gets their, well, what I can't give anything away, but somebody gets when bad things happen, you know, it's great. 
Well, half your job uh, appearing on this show is to tell us about Boogeyman, and the other half is to talk about Stephen King and George Romero's Creep Show. So it might be time to move into Creep Show. Does that sound sound good to you? I love it. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about Creep Show. I love Creep Show. Um, Thank you for being willing to talk about Creep Show. I'm sure everybody wants to talk about Creep Show. Creep Show is, is a weird choice, I guess. There is no book that it's based upon there's a lot of great inspiration but it has nothing to i mean stephen king didn't write ec comics although he very well could have as a starting out writer i could have seen him writing like house of mystery or i guess what when he was in his teens early 20s like weird and creepy shit like that i could have absolutely seen him writing for those things oh yeah totally i'm not i wasn't surprised when you picked this one because ec comics style stuff just seems like right in your fucking wheelhouse. That seems like your aesthetic through and through. You know, some guys picked up sports illustrated. Some guys picked up Nintendo magazine. Some guys picked up whatever. And they saw the thing that just was like, that's it to me. It was EC and then everything inspired by EC comics, like, you know, House of Mystery and What Lies Beyond and all of the other Marvel and DC and every other independent publisher, you know, takes on the original, the OG EC. It's the perfect cake. You know, I love White Wedding Cake and I love EC. Like, it's the perfect cake. It is the perfect pizza. It's the it checks all the boxes for me. The art is magnificent. Um, I think that like. Bernie Wrightson should be right up there with like, uh, when I think about like art styles and I think about, you know, uh, and then I think about storytelling styles. Um, it's just, it's, it's perfect for me. So the fact that King wrote this masterpiece of, you know, bringing a comic book to life for film, like, oh, it's so great. Yeah. It's something that I want to like start as a good starting off point for this is I kind of want to put it in the context of, uh, at the time, because King was known for being the author of the shining and, you know, uh, the stand in the dead zone at this point. Right. And he was known as the horror guy, you know, uh, Carrie had come out Salem's lot. The TV series had come out or the miniseries had come out. Uh, the shining had come out and like, for him to do creep show and to do it in the style was actually a really radical um, left turn. Cause I think that if people at the time were fans and readers, even though he is a very playful uh, horror author, he does play a lot. And you, especially in the short story forms, that mischievousness is there. That kind of EC style can be found in the short work, especially, but I can't imagine that at the time that people were like, Oh my God, the guy that did Dawn of the dead and, and Stephen King, they're going to make a movie and it's going to be the scariest fucking thing that I've ever seen. And it's that, but that's not the, the, the flavor necessarily uh, that he's going for here. Like I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I love creep show, but I'd never in a million years call it like, you know, a, a really scary movie or, you know, no, it's like, it's fun and it's yeah. funny. And it's like, it's so irreverent and wry. And, um, I will say, cause I can look back to being a kid and seeing it for the first time. It has moments that scared or disturbed me though, right. more than 
most other things around that time of my like kind of uh, uh, entree into the world of horror. Um, I think that it was really smart of him. Well, of Romero. I don't know whose call it was, but whoever it was, and maybe it's in the writing. I have never read the screenplay uh, for the film, but I, 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 I'm sure it was an early conversation they had to the way production design elements were developed, the way that the creatures were done. Um, it's there's a camp uh, heightened cartoony element to it, as well as performances um, that <laughs> right. is really disarmingly. Yeah. yeah fun and you're right i think people were probably primed up and geared up and ready for a like really heavy intense serious you know horror mashup and and instead they got this like wacky crazy weird thing but but yeah nothing that happened in carrie which i saw as a young kid nothing that happened in carrie disturbed me as i mean the bullying disturbed me the most in carrie when i was a kid that disturbed me more than the violence and the uh the murders and the even the mom stuff which really is disturbing i just still always felt like the the bullying was the worst part but nothing disturbed me in carrie christine um trying to think of what else i had seen around that i hadn't i didn't see the shining until a little bit later but i think i i was really kept away from that one with some intention by my parents. Uh, How, what, what do you think that is? I don't know. I don't, it was just not, it was like, like all horror was pretty much banned or forbidden in my house. It was raised in a pretty religious house, but there was something about the shining and the exorcist were both films that were like, do that is like, okay, you want to smoke pot? Uh, you want to smoke <laughs> pot? You can do some fucking Friday the 13th, some Halloween, you know, you want to maybe do a line of blow every once in a while. You can <laughs> fuck around with, you know, uh, some phantasm. You sh- you're not shooting up and you're not going. Fucking, <laughs> right. You're not chasing the dragon. That's what the, <laughs> that's what the escalation. Was. And it was my brother too. my brother. Because, yeah, I had to sneak all the horror. I mean, my gateway was originally I, we've talked about this before was the creature feature. So my gateway mm-hmm. was. Uh, Universal Castle and Hammer Horror, as well as all the old RKO and indie shit that um, just Cremation Mortem would throw up on the TV every Friday night in Kansas City. That was my gateway horror. It was all really pre anything pre 1960 was was my gateway. Then by like fifth, sixth grade with my brother, who was then a senior in high school and my access to the VHS video rentals from the mom and pop shop, we had Wycliffe uh, video around the corner. That's when I, it was like, you know, I dove in, but I watched all that stuff. I spit on your grave was one of the first horror movies I watched. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. That was not a good idea for an 11 year old (laughs) boy, but, uh, children shouldn't play with dead things. Wizard of Gore, nothing, nothing disturbed or upset me the way that, um, I can't remember what it's the chapter is called. Uh, the tide will come something um, to tide you over. Yeah. Something to tide you over. Thank you. Um, it, it, there was something about when they were buried up to their necks, uh, that just messed me up hard and the crate, 
Um, yeah. When Adrian, when, when the big bite comes down, because that was also in the comic book adaptation as well. It's, it's in one of the transitions, um, mm -hmm. that bite, that full face kiss bite, like the way you would kiss somebody on the mouth sideways, but the bite coming down like that, those, those haunted me much more than anything else I saw around that time. I wonder why I don't know that there, there was something about, um, that poor couple. Um, I mean, obviously Leslie Nielsen, who we, you know, I, I wasn't as familiar with him at that age. It was, it was like around that time that I was that, that like maybe I saw naked gun and then I remembered airplane and all that stuff. But like, Oh my God. Um, I don't remember the actress who played uh, the wife, but she was great. And then, and I remember Ted dance and I just felt it was so, it made me feel so sick. Something scared me about that so much. Um, mm. The one that I didn't like, sorry, Stephen King was um, the farmer, Jordy, the alien. Oh. Um, <laughs> yep. I didn't like that one. It wasn't the grotesquerie of it. I didn't like his performance as a kid. I remember being like, this is too goofy. I like a little weird. <laughs> But this is just too goofy. Um, I also grew up in rural Kansas some of my life, and I was like, there, there's a bunch of idiots out here, but nobody's this buck-toothy dumb, you know? Um, and I knew some buck-toothy dumb uh, folk. Still do. By the way, some are my family, so I can say <laughs> that. Um, but that one was the one I didn't really love. Hmm. It's definitely the one that's the the broadest, and I think that like King is quoted, and it always sticks in my mind is is uh, somebody asked him about his performance in there, and he's like, when he went to Romero and was like, "How do you want me to play this character?" Okay, I'll do it. Like, but how do you want me to play it? And Romero told him, "Play it as as broad as a freeway." And he's like, "And by God, that's exactly what I did." <laughs> I didn't mind that one when I was a kid. The one, the the first story, the Father's Day one, oh, is is the Father's one that when Day. I was a kid, I wasn't terribly interested in that one. It was a lot of like inter inter family drama and stuff about a yeah. will, and then at the end, it, there's just there, there's a zombie. Um, didn't have much appreciation for that one as a kid. Like it more as an an adult, especially that one's has, great. Killer and cast, Killer and cast. it's got disco dancing Ed Harris in it. Yes, you know? it does. It so, absolutely does. That one, I liked the the punchline. I loved the final yeah. button to me. That was like, as a kid, I was like, oh yeah. Because again, we we had a used bookstore near us called Rainy Day Books. And um, I don't know what year the movie came out theatrically. I didn't see it, of course, until I, it was on VHS. Um, I would have probably seen it around 19... 86 maybe but there was a book a comic book graphic novel that was put out when the movie came out or after the movie had some success that was just like an ec comic but like graphic novel thicker book of that and yeah. i got that from rainy day books and that that was my favorite image in the whole thing was the, the dad with the cake. The dad with the cake. That there was a there was this beautiful panel in that was like a full page panel in the book, and that was super special to me. I love right. that. The the one that as a kid that I didn't the one that it, it's not that I didn't like it because I think it has some of the best stuff in the entire movie is in this, but the crate just felt so fucking long to me. Like, it, because <laughs> like father's day, you're kind of in and out. You get to, you get the family, you get the, the, 
dad comes out of the grave and starts killing them off one by one. Uh, you know, it's got a little slasher to it, but it's also, it just moves quickly. And the Jordy Vera one was so goofy and colorful. Something to tide you over is very disturbing, but it, it, it the point is it gets to the point. And yeah. then the crate feels like it takes 45 fucking minutes and it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and 35 minutes of that is just Hal Holbrook imagining how he's going to kill his wife because she's such an <laughs> asshole. Right. She and it's awesome, man. And she's, I she's so good. Love her so Adrian much. Barbo. I, I want to, yeah. I would love to meet her at some point. I, I've been at conventions when I was, um, when I was going to conventions just as a, as a fan, as opposed to being like a guest now. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I waited once to try and meet her and I didn't get, I didn't get up didn't get there uh i love her i i the, the one that eve eve saw a creep show later and like she actually saw it at, i was i was out of town i was filming uh somewhere eve and i think cat went to uh fuller's and they watched uh creep show at brian's house one night and um her big complaint which i get was the uh the riff on um oh you know who's the famous uh old the, the the rich guy that isolated himself and and wrapped everything with Howard uh, Hughes, yeah, like the Howard Hughes kind of riff. I always felt like that last one was like a Howard Hughes with the right. bugs with the cockroaches because God knows palmetto bugs. What do they call them? Whatever you want to call them, they're disgusting and they're right. evil and they're the worst. That are one, you? Wait, hold on. Are you like in real life? Are you afraid of cockroaches? Sure. Yeah, I, I hate. Like I would. I would rather see like a spider crawling across my wall really? at night than a cockroach. Absolutely. Man, I am the exact Cockroaches opposite. Cockroaches <laughs> just freak me the fuck out. There's something so gross about them. I don't know what it is. They really bother me and I've squished many of them in my time. Um, yeah, and Eve really hates the cockroaches. So she mm-hmm. was like, that movie was dead disgusting and i was like oh it's not that bad you've seen everything and she was like no it was she liked it but she was like that that bug one i can't handle it and i was like i kind of like it it's just it makes my skin crawl in a good way as it should yeah that's the whole point of it yeah 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 i mean it's i think overall like we we've had the debate on the show of like you know of like uh, comparing creep show and creep show two and like what's more successful what's not oh and, sure sure and and you know i i have to admit i watched creep show two way more than i watched the original but that when i was growing up but that was simply due to the fact that it was on <laughs> it was on hbo more so mm-hmm. so like creep, I, you know creep back in the show day, or creep show two was creep show two was creep show two okay. was uh Creep Show Two was on HBO, right? I did see. We didn't. We weren't allowed to have HBO, but my brother figured out a way to like do something with the wires in the back of our house, so we would get HBO for a while until my parents uh-huh. would figure it out, and then they would turn it off again. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, my my buddy and I to this day will say to each other, "Thanks for the ride, lady." Like no matter what, mm-hmm. that's our way we greet each other. The Raft is one of my favorite of all the creep show stories for some reason. Maybe because I saw it when I was probably 12 and I thought it was very sexy. Yeah. Um, it very, not, not, uh, not great in, in uh, 2023. No, no. Uh, isn't there like, isn't there like a non consensual? I mean, I haven't seen oh, Creep yeah. Show 2 in a long time. There's like a non consensual. Oh, yeah. No, he strips her while she's asleep. That's that, that ain't, oh, uh, that ain't cool. Yeah. But, uh, 
wow. but I but I totally understand what you're saying because even like as a kid, like that part didn't register to me. It was just like, oh my god, I'm about to see booby. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like I'm gonna see this. This is like, is this okay? Can I see this? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you you were fine, but meanwhile, like another segment of our entire generation was like. Oh, this being rapey is kind of cool. Yeah, like, yeah, you're no, right. yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, 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 you're taking the wrong lesson here. Wrong lesson. Don't you know, if you do that, you'll be eaten by a giant trash slime monster. Um, Wasn't Savini in uh, Creepshow 2? Yes. Yeah, he played, he played the creep, right? So he, he was in the That's makeup as, right. as the creep, yeah. I just finally got to meet him uh, the other day. I'm, I'm, I'm producing and I wrote a, uh, a horror film. Uh, which I can't wait to share with you guys, but the uh, the the creature uh, is being built by these really great artists at Legacy Effects, and we were doing oh, a, yeah. like a camera test on the our creature, and um, and we were shooting at a stage. We just rented a stage for a day in Burbank, and the guy who owns the stage is friends with Tom, and he came by and hung out with us on set. It was really cool. Oh, that's got to be neat. Yeah, I yeah. have a. As we're talking, uh, you know, Savini did the effects for the first Creep Show mm-hmm. as well. And as we're talking, I have a one sheet for Creep Show hung up in my living room, framed in my living room, and it's signed by Tom Savini. So, oh, nice. so, so I'm glad you brought he, that up so I could brag. Yes, no, you should brag. That's a braggable thing. He is, I think, the reason why the film is so successful to me as a viewer. Like, I remember as a kid thinking, like, this looks different. And like I was saying earlier, I feel like I, I know it was so intentional with Romero and Stephen King, but they really did do something um, that was elevated and it, it was different. It was just different. You know, it was like for me as a kid of the Muppets, there's something mm-hmm. in Creepshow that has a connectivity to like a Henson world as much as it does to, you know, like a, like a, a Forrest Ackerman publication. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I never really kind of drew that parallel before but you're right i mean uh mm-hmm. what it, what they call the creature is it fluffy yeah yeah they call fluffy fluffy does feel like you know the the dark alley in sesame street that you don't yeah. go down you know? <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> absolutely it's interesting um, yeah i would love to see i i love the the the, the tradition of anthologies didn't begin with creep show obviously right. and it won't end with you know the Halloween or trick or treat or, uh, you know, um, holidays, whatever the latest anthology thing is, it it keeps going. Um, it's a great medium, but I'm glad that I'm glad that this movie paid so much homage to the comic book form from which it came. It really did. It was like pulp dime books and comic books were where this originated. There really wasn't, I mean, Penny Dreadfuls were serialized, but they weren't anthological the way that this was and the way that um, those old comics were. And I think that uh, I think it just did such a masterful job of uh, and King's script did such a great job honoring that. You know, I love a good anthology. I wish there were, in fact, more anthology things like this. In fact, I don't know that I've ever seen like a major studio anthology film upon release in a theater. I think that's just mm. mostly shit I grew up with. Like I saw ABCs of death and ABCs yeah. of death Two, And 
you know, VHS, um, VHS, and, VHS. And, um, uh, uh, holidays, and um, the the one that's uh, Halloween. But like, the, the, you, but, but uh, they're they're all things that I saw um, on Blu-ray or streaming. You know, I don't, yeah. I can't think of. There was um, Terror in the Isles. Um, I snuck into. I was I was like five or six. I, I don't remember why we were at the, the theater for like someone's birthday party seeing something. And I like went to the bathroom and then I snuck into and got in huge trouble because I stayed in there and I watched terror in the aisles, but that wasn't even really a anthology. That was, that was like a clip like, show right? Clip show. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I, I get what I Scott, what Scott, what you're saying though, because it's like they just studios don't do this. Right. Like, no, I like, tried like, pitching some anthology stuff. They hate um, it. They're really, really averse to it. And and I thought, well, it's cool that it's happening now in TV, as you see with like Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities or Jordan Peele trying to reboot the Twilight Zone. But again, you have to be a huge prestige name like Jordan Peele or Guillermo del Toro. And then what they want is they want recurring characters that audiences will get like attached to and hooked on. So they're just not interested in that form but hey guys there's a new kid in town there's a new shop it's over there in los angeles it's called good fiend films this is a self-plug for all you listeners who haven't caught on yet it's a new hip cool production company it's definitely got its finger on the pulse of all the blood that's pumping through the monster's veins of horror hounds everywhere uh and it is a studio that's going to make uh, genre work and I think anthologies is one of our like big goals is figuring out ways to um, create like a feature form anthology series. And it's just, it's also a scheduling trickiness because trying to get a budget for it. One of the tricks that I'm trying to employ in courting any studio interest is okay, we'll get these four directors and they want like, they want like, like really established they're like okay fine then bring us blah 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 blah. and you're like oh great how easy is that going to be to get four directors to like carve out the time and the schedule that could work well for that so uh but no i'm working on it guys i'm also uh another self-plug working in my fifth year now on my comic book count crowley uh which connecting as i said to eric when we were talking about doing the show i said well this is i can talk about count crowley because the movie creep show as well as the ec comics that inspired creep show as well as all this other ancillary stuff that we've been talking about for the last 16 hours is all the stuff that went into the core of why I love making count Crowley so much, which is the comic that I do with dark horse. And it's not anthological. Um, and it's not an easy comic, uh, but there is, if, if you ever get a chance to pick it up and check it out, I think you'll see that every page is dripping with inspiration from that golden age of horror comics. And, um, and it is about a, a woman who's a horror host for a late night tv show and the discovery that she's actually also an appointed monster hunter so yeah I'm, I'm 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 heading into the third volume now um which will start coming out right around halloween of this year and uh and and that is one of the many many things that's so massively inspired by 
this movie. So thanks for letting me talk about it. Yeah, of course, man. And and it's it, it's inspired by the things that inspired both King and Romero to make it. You know, that's yeah. kind of the the thought. Like I I have a feeling that Romero and King were had a similar background that you did, where it was like horror t- television hosts. You know, mm-hmm. introducing you know especially since both of them grew up not really in you know. I guess Pittsburgh is, you know, a major, major metropolitan area, but it's, it's not like New York, LA, Dallas or whatever, you know, it's not right, one of the right. giant, giant cities. It's a very blue collar feeling, you know, place where both of them uh, grew up. And I have to imagine that, that that was uh, the same thing for them, you know, and, and this is, this is something that you embrace, you know, in Count Crowley, but also your Dr. Fearless yes, uh, persona as well. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know. This, it, it would just felt right. Creepshow and yeah. David Desmaltzen just felt right. It and I'm, and it's my jam. It's my jam. I love it. I, um, uh, I'm sure everybody by the time that this episode comes out will have already seen it. But you know, the the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards are airing shortly, and um, so if you guys were watching the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, you saw Doctor Fearless, you saw clips of the boogeyman i believe you might have even seen clips of uh last voyage of the demeter but um you know that so many of us just like scott and eric and everybody that's probably listening to the show are like what it, it's always great to pay reverence and homage to the things that inspired while still looking towards the future and find and finding out what what elevates or expands those things into new places and i think it's just such an exciting time for all of us who are horror fans because i think there's a lot of really gifted people out there who have who are picking up the the torch and and taking the mantle uh to the next level and um and i think rob savage is one of those guys i can't wait for all of you guys to see boogeyman the only other movie i gotta really plug right now uh is because maybe I'll come back when we do Last Voyage of the Demeter. That's going to be a blast. But uh, is Late Night with the Devil, which yes. since we're on the King cast, I uh, want to uh, point out one of the great honors for me was seeing, I pulled it up here. I deleted my Twitter, but I, I pulled up the tweet. It's uh, Stephen King said, Late Night with the Devil. I got a screener. It's absolutely brilliant. He used the B word, you guys. The mm-hmm. King himself has called it brilliant. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Your results may vary, as they say, but I urge you to watch it when you can. I crapped my pants when I read that. (laughs) I crapped my pants. And I know he also really is a big fan of The Boogeyman, the the, the film that Rob has made. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm in two things that Stephen King has watched within a short amount of time, that he likes both of them, these are those things when I'm on my deathbed and I'm smiling uh, in spite of it all. This is one of those reasons I'll be smiling. Mm. Well, we know he listens to the show sometimes. Maybe he'll hear this. This will be a third Hi. thing. Hello. You know, next thing Hi. you know, he's going to be uh, hitting you up to to be best pals. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> then that's when my bowels fell out. And then I literally... <laughs> He's right, though. I've seen Late Night with the Devil, and I think our listenership is really going to like that one. Um, and I know what he means about not being able to take your eyes off it, because it is, it feels like a high wire act, what's going on in that movie, um, yeah. where you have to maintain a certain amount of reality. You have to do, like, it's it's very ambitious, 
uh, to to execute something like that. And so crazy. Uh, and I'm 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 kind of being coy about the setup for it. I would go in cold if you could. Go cold. Go cold. Yeah. No trailers. Go cold. Go cold. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm curious how they'll even cut a trailer for that. <laughs> I'm I'm trying as a producer on the film, um, one of my roles and the things that I really love being a part of is um sorry, something's coming out of my daughter's drawer. I'm in there. Oh. closet. What is ah! Oh god. The boogeyman. It's the boogeyman, you guys. It's Stephen no, King. Uh, it's Stephen. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> He's uh, been in your daughter's bowels. closet this whole yes! time. He's We're friends now. Uh, <laughs> my bowels fell. Um, no, I, I, I think that the way you market and, and promote a film is is so important. And a lot of times, um, there's kind of a there's like a there's like a playbook on how people do that, and I find that is okay for say you're out to promote the newest, um, you know, Marvel movie or whatever. Um, but it's different when it's something like this. And, and I just, I'm luckily as a part of the team able to put a lot of my thoughts and ideas into the way that I think we should introduce the story because it is inspired by, you know, some things that absolutely have been lifted by real experiences that people have had by you know there's there's some crazy stories that went into how this all came to be and i think watching it happen before your eyes even though you're going to be going well i know this is a movie because i'm in a movie theater i'm watching it on my tv there's stuff that uh it's hard to explain but it was a very ambitious of the filmmakers to to even take the swing at it and i am so glad that i joined them for it um speaking of marvel movies though you guys I'm headed now. I didn't realize what time it is. I got to go. I'm going to a 4D screening of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm going to go watch. Never heard of it. Uh, yeah, it's a little thing. It's not, <laughs> uh, it's not probably going to make it on your radar this year. Did A24 do that? It wasn't A24. I think it was actually like Village Roadshow. Uh, oh. <laughs> I am super excited for you guys to hear about it. It's probably going to be playing at your local festival when you're ready. Sweet. Um, but anyway, I'm, I got to go because I got to get across town to a 4D. I, I really don't normally like 4D, but I think it'll I saw Halloween ends in 4D, which was actually pretty fun. But I'm going to go see um, I'm going to go see Guardians 3 in 4D. I've seen it already once and now I'm going to see it in 4D. So, so you can everybody. cry in four dimensions. That's yes. right. Well, we well, thank you for yeah. being here today. We're very excited about the boogeyman. David, thank you so much for being here. Well, we very much look forward to getting you back. Thanks, guys. What a blast. Many thanks to our good friend David Desmulchin for coming in. Uh, once again, this is his third appearance on the show, if you count his uh, uh, his yeah, contribution so. to the last anniversary episode, I believe. Always a delight to talk to. Yeah. Uh, it, maybe a little... Uh, it, it's With a David Desmulchin episode, you just hold on for the ride. <laughs> you know, it's going to go wherever he wants it to go, and uh, uh, we appreciate that. We like... Uh, we like a bit of formlessness around here. Right. We like to go a little off the rails. So this was a little, uh, a, a smidge breezy, I would say, this episode. But uh, <laughs> I had a hell of a time recording it. A little so bit. hopefully everyone else enjoys listening to it. Or well, else. we've had multiple episodes that have been in the Creepshow world. Creepshow 2 specifically. I'm thinking of the Joe Lynch one where 
we figured out about a third of the way through it that uh, that was going to be three hour long deep dive into every single story and how every moment of each story made us feel. And it's a great episode. Don't get me wrong. I love that episode. But sometimes you just need a little breezy chat and talk about how Creepshow influenced us all. And uh, that's what what uh, our good friend Dave gave us. So, yeah, I don't think we even need to do Creepshow 2 again after Joe's episode. I think we left no uh, nook and or cranny unexplored uh, on that one. <laughs> He pretty much uh, said everything there was to say, and so did we. So, well, I'm sure knowing our history, we will. Su- we will. We can say, you know what, we're not doing Creep Show two again, but we will still somehow do five more Raft episodes. The Raft is one of the most <laughs> yeah. popular titles from yeah. from from the King's Oeuvre. Always that, uh, that a pleasure to beat um, that one into the ground. Yeah. So, speaking of popular <laughs> titles, guess what? We're going back into the corn next week, babies. That's right. It's going to be Children of the Corn six 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 in the main feed. Hold on to your butts. This is Isaac's return. So this is, uh, you're bringing back the legacy character, that iconic character that horror fandom demanded to return in the late nineties. And boy, did he, I'm just glad that we're almost done with this franchise. (laughs) We're more, we're closer to being done than when we began. (laughs) That's true. That is true. So, (laughs) you know, that is a leg up. For this episode, we have an upcoming, up and coming. I don't know. He's not up and coming. He's firmly established uh, a great yeah. indie horror director uh, who has a movie coming out on a streaming service near you. Um, long time in the works of getting this guy on the show. And uh, yeah, so he very foolishly tried to pick another uh, a previous Children of the Corn. And we're like, no, we just covered that. And he goes, well, I will throw myself. <laughs> into the bonfire and uh and join you guys for children of the corn 666 and uh he I, I would say that he regretted that but then he also let us know like early on that he watched that damn thing three times in a row uh, for the show so you can't yeah. doubt doubt his commitment to sparkle motion is what i'm saying yeah this is this is a particularly spirited corn boys episode i i hated this one and had a really hard time understanding what the fuck was even going on in it uh so thankfully uh, our guest was uh, able to explain it to me because I made two <laughs> attempts to, you know, three attempts to watch this and just mm-hmm. could not fucking figure it out for the life of me. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to that one next week, as well should all of you. What about the Patreon? You going to tell the folks what to expect yes. on the Patreon this Friday? On the Patreon this week, we have Werewolves Within director, Blood Relative star, a Wounded Fawn star, former uh richard bachman for the king cast <laughs> mr uh josh rubin coming on and we're having we're doing something a little different on this one we're having just a generalized conversation about the state of horror right now we touch on a few king projects that are coming up but for the most part we're talking about you know what's popular in horror right now how did we get here what trends led us to this where might be we going next what do we think of the state of the horror fandom What do we think Mm -hmm. of the various horror filmmakers who are out there interacting with fans these days? You're going to you're going to get just an hour long session of the three of us going toe to toe on that Uh, very fun conversation, as all conversations with Josh Rubin are. And uh, we think you will be happy to be listening to that this Friday on the Patreon, which is, of course, patreon.com backslash the King cast. You should go over there and sign up right now. If you know what's good for you, I'm going to. Come to your house and break your kneecaps. Or something and like you that. don't want that. He's broken my kneecaps like four times since we started the show. It's well, not a pleasant he won't experience. Sign up for the Patreon. 
Well, that's true. That's true. I need to get on. I, I now you remember <laughs> Robin that again. Peter you're to pay break, Paul over here. <laughs> you're gonna break. You're gonna break my knees again right before I get on a plane to New Zealand. That's mm, not yes. gonna be pleasant. I better sign right up, and you it's should be a too. Long flight. All right. So I think that about does it. I'll guess we'll see you next week for uh, this mysterious horror director and some more corn boys action for Children of the Corn six 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 Isaac's return. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. <laughs> <laughs>